Many of you know that here at Vox, we value hearing from diverse voices and perspectives. We see that reflected throughout the narrative of Scripture and throughout the life of the global uh, body of Jesus Christ. And so we are so excited to have Kimberly. We, you are not a stranger to us here at Vox. You've been a part of our community for a long time, but excited for this, your first time to share with us via homily If you don't know her, she's an incredible leader, someone that organizations and others trust to help them lead out authentically, to help them develop their teams, and we are so excited to have you share with us today. Thank you. As we get started, I would love for you to call to mind an experience of disorientation an event or a season where it became suddenly clear that what you thought you knew was not, in fact, reality. Now, when we think about disorientation, chances are we go straight to the unpleasant, what you thought was a strategy meeting turns out to be your termination. But it can also be pleasant. You've come braced for a breakup, but instead your partner proposes. All that secrecy and nervousness was not, in fact, pointing to the end. Do you have a moment in mind? Now turn your attention to that split second of realization, those moments in which it feels like your whole system is adjusting to a new reality. How does that feel in your body? I won't ask you to share with your neighbor, but I will share. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Kimberly, and I have been bopping around Vox for a while, but this is my first homily here. I'm a little nervous. Um, I will tell you that public speaking is a big part of my life and career, but the last time I gave a sermon, I was pregnant with my now 11-year-old son. (laughs) I was on staff at a megachurch at the time working with their 20-somethings ministry, and on that day I was on stage, kind of like this one, and I was sitting on a stool, but that day specifically because I was so sick in my pregnancy that I was pretty weak. It's okay, Jack. No worries. Um, A few minutes in, I started to feel the stage shaking. And so I'm still talking, but now I'm imagining a Tommy Boy moment, you know, when he sits on the bench and it collapses under him and Chris Farley says, could have done without that. Immediately, my heart is pounding in my chest and I'm trying to strategize. Should I be as still as possible or try to walk off of this stage? And if I walk off... What if it collapses completely the moment that I move? And what if the baby is hurt? And this goes on for a couple of minutes, and all the while my mouth is saying words. (laughs) Then suddenly it dawns on me, I am shaking. My foot was on the music stand in front of me, and I was shaking it. And immediately the world was shifting under me, and what I thought was happening wasn't real, and I cautiously moved my foot off of the music stand, started praying that I would not pass out in this sermon, because clearly the problem was me. I mean, it was good news, really, but a bit of a record scratch. So hold on to that feeling for a moment while we step into the text together. Today is Pentecost Sunday in the lectionary, and if you've spent much time in church, you may actually know this story very well. Not only that, but we know where the story fits into the bigger story. We know when we celebrate Christmas that Easter is coming and that the next big plot point is Pentecost. 
You might know this story so well that you are already bored. I've been there. But I would like to take a step back from what we know and imagine what it was like for the early followers of Christ. They didn't know how this story would go because they were embedded in it. They didn't have access to the cliff notes. So let's take a minute and imagine just how disoriented they may have been on the morning of Pentecost. See, three years ago, they were living everyday lives. They weren't part of the religious elite. And then Jesus called them. They were chosen. And by the time they come into Jerusalem for that last Passover, the whole crowd was waving palms and cheering their guy. And they were important. They were like, we're with him. But less than a week later, their guy, their hope, was dying on a cross executed by the state. Imagine the disorientation of that moment. How did we get this so wrong? The grief and the upheaval that they must have felt in the days after the crucifixion. But then on day three, guess what? He's back. Yay! And Jesus sticks around for 40 days, and then he floats up into the sky. And while they're trying to process that, suddenly there's some angels standing next to them, and they're saying, what are you looking at? (laughs) Imagine the state of these people in the days that follow the ascension. They must have felt absolutely crazy. I would have felt crazy. Are we maybe collectively crazy? Is that a thing? I mean, a lot of us saw Jesus. We even saw him be taken up. Here's something in all of my church history from house church to mega church that I have never heard or realized until I was prepping this homily. Before Pentecost was the day that the Spirit came, it was already a Jewish holiday. In fact, it was the feast day that happens 50 days after Passover, which is why it's called Pentecost. And once we know that, we can do some Pentecost math. This means Jesus has ascended, and it's been four or five days. And they are now waiting for the helper that Jesus has promised is coming. It's been less than two months since Last Supper. Imagine what they're trying to process and grieve, how many times their whole world has been upended. But in spite of that, they gather together for this holiday. And once again, people are coming into the city of Jerusalem to celebrate. And it is in this context that the story moves forward, that the helper they maybe were afraid to even hope for does, in fact, arrive. Whatever they were expecting in this moment, I doubt it was this. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them and rested on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. I mean, what is happening here? Imagine if that happened this morning at Vox. We're passing the peace sipping some excellent coffee. Thank you, coffee team, and praise the Lord for you. And suddenly there is a violent wind. It would be a bit ominous. There would be some nervous laughter in the sanctuary. But then let's add some fire. 
The Holy Spirit enters into their dismay and disorientation and some extraordinary things start to happen. And at some point they realize, this is it. This wind and fire, it must be the Holy Spirit, the advocate that was promised. And they have to think back, what did Jesus say about this again? They only had their memories at this point, but we have the Gospel of John, so we can check our notes and see that Jesus said, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. So the Holy Spirit is here, and he's bringing two things, clarity and peace. And as we look at this story, it's worth noting that the peace that is coming on Pentecost is not at all a circumstantial peace. Their circumstances, if anything, get weirder before they get better. But as they are filled with the Holy Spirit, they are reminded of the mission. They are reminded of who they are. And in the midst of their stress, the Spirit meets them and activates them into the next right thing. In the weeks that I have been prepping this homily, I have experienced some disorientation myself. My son graduated from elementary school last week and is officially a middle schooler now which I'm not going to lie by itself is a little topsy-turvy for me. (laughs) But as we all know, just a few days left in the school year, the terrible shooting happened in Uvalde. Just hours from here, and we had to once again consider whether we were willing to send him to school the next day. We were feeling anything but peaceful. But in addition to that, I was facing situations in my business life with two separate clients where things were going unexpectedly very sideways. I was writing this talk about peace, and I was also wrestling with a highly unusual level of fear and anxiety. I was barely sleeping. And I sat in my car and I asked God, is this even true, this thing that I'm teaching? How do I get to the peace part? In these moments of high stress where the world feels so untrustworthy, the Holy Spirit can help us find our way back to center. Now, you may not know this, but our very own Jenna St. David wrote a book called The Brain and the Spirit. It's really good. You should read it. It uses what we now know about neurobiology as a lens to help us understand the gospel story. And in that vein, when she's writing about the Spirit, she gets curious about how the Spirit creates movement in our story, and even in our brain. And so I hodgepodge the paragraph together. You'll have to read the whole page to get all the goodness. But here is some of what Jenna says about that. Jesus' words indicated that the Spirit would continue to teach them. I thought of our brain's tendency towards misperception and losing access to our upper neocortical networks, particularly during times of stress. I wondered then if any movement in the direction of helping us perceive accurately the meaning of the story of Jesus, correcting our misperceptions about God and increasing our trust might be understood as a movement of the Spirit. If any movement in the direction of helping us access our upper neocortical networks and regulate our nervous system by sparking trust might also be understood as a movement of the Spirit. Now bring back to mind our earlier question around how disorientation feels. 
In those moments, our nervous system is fairly reactive, is it not? Potentially, it's hard to return to peace when all of our systems are on high alert. And that is where I found myself over the past two weeks. And this is what I was thinking about as I realized once again that peace is outside of circumstances. I turned my attention to God looking for a lifeline. And to be clear, the peace that I experienced didn't change the harsh realities of what we were navigating. I have spent these weeks grieving and solving and getting curious and pivoting and making mistakes and trying again. But as I became present to this question, I have seen God at work along the way in ways that I might have only been able to see in retrospect. On the lookout for peace, I have noticed his being with me in the mess, the Spirit helping me to discern next steps. So that is our first practice. It sounds easy. It's actually quite hard. But invite the Holy Spirit into moments of disorientation, and in doing so, receive the peace that God can offer us. Now, when the Holy Spirit does enter into this moment, it's not just wind and fire, but something else happens that is really quite extraordinary. So we'll pick it up in verse 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages, as the Spirit gave them ability. Now, there were devout Jews from every people under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? So first, there's the wind, and then the fire, and then suddenly everyone is telling a story, a cacophony of good news, if you will. And since it's Pentecost, people have gathered again in Jerusalem to celebrate the story of God, and they are from all over. And in their daily lives, they speak maybe dozens of languages. But regardless of where they're from, they are hearing and understanding in their own tongue. Have you ever been in a room where everyone is speaking a language that you don't know? Or maybe you do know it, but understanding takes a lot of concentration. One of my pandemic hobbies was to lean back into learning Spanish. And after a couple hundred lessons on Duolingo, I can sometimes get the gist of a conversation that's happening right next to me. I can occasionally even understand parts of songs that feature Spanish verses, although I'll be honest and tell you that you need some words that they don't have in Duolingo for some of that. <laughs> but if I'm going to understand, it takes my full attention. So imagine you're in a room like that, and suddenly through the melee, you hear someone speaking your language. The instant relief and connection that you feel in that moment. But here's the thing. This is not just happening for one person. It is happening for every person. The Holy Spirit shows up, and suddenly we understand each other in ways that we couldn't before. So let's come back to Jenna's idea that the Holy Spirit brings us into a more accurate perception. And remember what Jesus said, that the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Jesus knew that some of what he taught would not make a lot of sense until after he was gone. That we would need some help to understand the kingdom of God. 
So he promises the Spirit, and he lets us know that this Spirit will give us ears to hear and eyes to see. And the very first thing that happens when the Spirit comes is that we can see and hear each other in whole new ways. We can be heard and seen in new ways. So our second practice is to ask the Holy Spirit to help us see the world clearly. Now, I've recently discovered a podcast called Poetry Unbound. It's by the same team who creates the On Being podcast for NPR, and in each episode, Padre Gotuma reads a poem and then talks about it and then reads it again, and it's over. Which, by the way, meant that I could get in the pickup line at Jack's school, start the podcast, and finish before he got in the car. That is a shameless plug that you too can listen to poetry while you're stuck in a line. And so I want to share one of those poems with you, uh, not just to earn my gold star for quoting NPR in a Vox homily. (laughs) But before we hear it, I want you to meet Hannah Emerson, the poet. So I'm going to throw her picture on the slide. As I listened to this episode, one of the things that Podrick shared is that the poet, Hannah Emerson, is a non-speaking autistic poet. And I became a bit obsessed with the idea that poetry is the tongue in which we can hear Hannah. And when I share it in a moment, you'll see that her voice comes through this poem with bold clarity. It is not just interesting, it is conversational. It's visceral and affecting. And not only do you see her, but if it affects you the way that it's affected me, you might feel seen as well. Please try to help me go to the joy that is trying to go to the beautiful, helpful, helpful beginning of the beginning of the very trying freedom that we make our great, great, great light that is nothing but the laughter that is fooling us into believing that we go to the trash bin that is your life that become the treasures that live in the bottom of the bin that is your life. Yes, 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 yes. Please try to dive down to the beautiful muck that helps you get that the world was made from the garbage at the bottom of the universe that was boiling over with joy that wanted to become you, you, you. Yes, yes, yes. Please try to go to the colors that kiss you. Great, great, great person of the light that is becoming you, you, you. Yes, yes. Please try to keep yourself in the bottom of the bin. Yes, yes. Please try to go to the kissing muck that is very true to your life. Yes, yes. Please try to meet me there. Yes, yes. Please try to bring your beautiful nothing there. Yes, yes. Would you agree that her voice comes through in this poem? Of course, you are hearing Podrick's voice and his interpretation of the poem, but she is definitely coming through. His reading is a little sensual, maybe a little overly intimate for church. I might have read it a bit more like Ben's grandmother, Helen. Yes, 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 yes. She's gone to the Lord now, but she had this way of speaking to you that made you feel seen and special. She had this habit of leaning forward and touching your face at just the right moment of a conversation. And what I didn't realize at first is that she had really, really poor vision. 
she couldn't see you with her eyes, and so she used her hands. In Hannah's story and in Grandma Helen's, I see this movement of the Holy Spirit in play. Hannah, who is non-speaking, holds this tender conversation with us through her poetry, and Grandma Helen, who can't quite see, finds a way to see clearly with touch. But it's the poem itself that dovetails into our final point, which is about who the Spirit came for that day, which is each of them, which is each of us. See, in the story of Scripture, up until this point, the Holy Spirit was active in the world, but only to the select few. Kings, prophets, judges, priests. Sometimes God would bestow the Spirit on someone and then rescind it, like in the case of King Saul. But for most people, their access to God came through another party, someone who was deemed worthy enough. In fact, in the temple system, when the high priest took an offering into the Holy of Holies, which was this room deep in the temple that would kill you if you weren't holy enough, that person went in the room with a rope tied to their leg so that if he died, the other priest could pull him out because they were theoretically less holy than the high priest. It would be dangerous for someone to go in there after it. The point is that access to the Spirit of God was only for the elite, but not anymore. When Jesus went to the cross, the curtain to this room, the Holy of Holies, was torn in half from the top to the bottom. And when the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, it does not come for the few. It isn't just Peter, James, and John who are trusted with it. The Holy Spirit does not establish a new religious elite. It was everyone. Every believer that gathered together that day, and it doesn't stop there because as the story of the church unfolds in Acts, everyone who came to know Jesus received access to the Holy Spirit too. All along the way to today in this room, when we say yes to Jesus, God says yes right back to us. Jesus tried to explain to them that he was leaving and that it would be even better when the Holy Spirit came, and that must have been impossible to understand. But when Jesus was on earth, he could only intersect with a certain number of people. He was limited by the distance he could walk, by the size of the hillside where he taught, by how far his voice could carry. But the Holy Spirit doesn't have the limitations of embodiment. The generosity of God in this act on Pentecost decimates religious elitism. But we cling to it, don't we? All these years later, we're still looking around our churches trying to figure out who matters, who has studied the most, who prays the most, who's the most charismatic leader, who's doing the most justice work. We are still paying homage to royalty and hustling for our worthiness. And I think this is why Hannah is calling us back to the beginning of the beginning. She is naming in a fairly jarring way that we are each significant and insignificant. If you let him, the Holy Spirit will scoop you up out of the trash bin of your own self-estimation. Which by itself can be disorienting. The world is constantly telling us to rank ourselves from our GPA and credit score to the way Duolingo gamifies my efforts to learn Spanish. Let me just tell you a little confession. I've made Duo pretty sad this month. 
I know this because he emailed me to tell me. And then I felt bad, even though he is not an owl with human feelings and a real disdain for boundaries, but an algorithm. He is not a real owl, and I know this because if he were, he would not be emailing me during the daytime. <laughs> but nevertheless, he gets very concerned when I'm slipping down the leaderboard. Spiraling down into lies of comparison is a real win for the dark side. If I'm convinced that I'm not good enough, I may shrink back from my work. But the danger follows me to the other side of that equation as well. If I think I'm ranking pretty darn well right now, I run the risk of edging people out, of undercutting someone who is made in the very image of God. And I also run the risk of burning out while I try to hold on to the lead. Hierarchy is the language of the accuser. It's the language of not good enough and better than. And when we let it rule us, we dilute the power of God's love. We forget what Jesus has said to us about us, and we need the Spirit to remind us, because otherwise, in our efforts to find misguided significance, we put contingencies on belonging. What you own, who you love, what you do, how you vote— and if we miss this important part of Pentecost, that the Holy Spirit is accessible and gifted to each of us, then we will miss the clarity and the peace. We will not become people of peace. And the world needs us to be people of peace. And if you go back to the beginning of the beginning and remember that you are resourced and activated by God themselves, then you cannot opt out here. Do not try to tell me how you are unimportant in this story. So our third practice for today is to ask the Holy Spirit to show us how we are discounting ourselves and to step out in faith as part of this story of peace. Perhaps you're a bit afraid to put this practice into play this morning. In too many churches, a vision is cast, but when you are brave enough to raise your hand, someone looks down their nose at you and says, oh, not you. But Hannah and I are here to tell you, yes, you, hell yes. You great, great, great person of light. And for today, I will lend you Ben's grandmother, Helen, who would put her hand gently on your cheek, and with twinkling eyes, she would say, yes, 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 yes. The world needs what you bring. May we become people who lift each other towards goodness. May we become forces for peace. Amen.